0: Welcome to the Adventure Church Podcast. For more information about Adventure Church, please visit our website at adventurechurch.tv. Now, prepare your heart for a message from God's Word. I think today as we're talking through this message about staying when it's easier to go is that you really have to change your perspective on how you see conflict and how you see obstacles. Don't just see your obstacle as something that you have to get through, but see your obstacle as an opportunity an opportunity for God to show up, an opportunity for God to grow you, opportunity for God to stretch you and to do something new in your life to prepare you for what's coming next. Because seasons of conflict, if we handle them the right way, can actually become the biggest seasons of growth in our life. And your struggles that you go through are the best time for for God to show up and display his strength. Our struggles man, are always connected to God's strength. Paul said, for I am weak, where I am weak, where I don't know that I can make it through, God is strong. So in your story, there's going to be times where you would rather walk away. There's going to be times that it's better to walk away. And we're going to talk about that next week, that it's going to be, there's going to be times where God's going to ask you to go when it's actually easier to stay, that where it's more comfortable to stay. And so we'll get into that next week. But I believe that sometimes the best decision that you can make when it comes to your story is to stay when it would be easier to go. When I uh, got out of college, I graduated from uh, Christian College in 2004, and I took my first job, I was from here, I'm from Westerville, uh, I was down in school in Dallas, Texas, and I took my first job in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, okay? And so I'd uh, never been there before. It was a, a very uh, unique culture from what I was used to. It was a little bit different. And so I get there, it's, you know, it's, it's May, and it's like 60 degrees. No, it wasn't that bad. But it was it's colder climate. You know, the people kind of talk like a little bit different. You know, they got that you know there thing going on. And so it was just a little bit different for me. And so, in the, the first church I worked at, it was a smaller church. It was a newer church, kind of like ours. And so uh, they didn't have the money to just pay me this great salary. And so they said, hey, here's the deal. We can bring you on full time. And it's gonna be a stretch of faith for us to do that. We just gotta hope the church grows and people begin to give and, and we'll be able to pay you. But in order to get you there right now to where you can pay your bills, we're gonna have to fire the janitor so that we can pay you. It's part of his salary to get you where you wanna be. And full time for me, Uh, In 2004, right out of uh, college, was $20,000 a year. And so that was my first job in ministry, my first experience. And the deal was is that I couldn't, with my salary, I couldn't find a a cheap apartment. I didn't have a roommate lined up yet. I wasn't in a position. And and so I found this house, well, someone else actually found this house where this lady turned the upstairs of her house into an apartment. Okay, and so we both entered in through the same door and one door went into her place and one door went upstairs up to where I was staying. And so I'm staying in this lady's house and the best way for me to describe her is a female Chris Farley, okay? That's just, uh, I've, I've, uh, that's just the best way that I can describe this woman, okay? And she was just a little bit crazy. I have no idea why she wanted to lease out the upstairs of her house. I guess she really needed the money, but, like, if I walked at a certain time, if I turned the TV up a little bit too loud, if the air was adjusted the wrong way, because we had the same kind of thermostat deal, you know, she would, you know, knock on my door. It was just a real, real rough time for me. So I moved to this brand new place. I know no one. I'm living on top of this lady's house, and I have no cable, uh, I had no internet, I had no smartphone at that time. And so literally, I found myself on Friday nights, because I hadn't developed relationships yet, where I was actually going to the laundromat, on I didn't have a washer or dryer, I would go to the laundromat on a Friday night and do my laundry. And I would like run into people, and they'd be like, oh yeah, I work night shift, so that's why I'm here right now. Why are you here at a laundromat on a Friday night? And I'd be like, Ugh. well, I live on top of this lady's house, and it's really weird, and so this is like an escape for me. And, you know, you have to sit there the whole time and watch your clothes because you're afraid if, you know, you go run and do an, another errand that it'll go off before you get back and someone will throw all your clothes. How many of you have ever been in a laundromat before? It's a rough time, right? So I'm sitting there. I, remember, I can remember being in my apartment and not having anything to do. And I would literally, like, scroll through my phone thinking of someone I could call. Some of you here may have actually got a random phone call from me, and I would call someone. I'd be like, hey, what's up, man? Uh, They'd be like, yeah, what's going on? I haven't heard from you in like two years. I was just thinking about you, man. just wanna see how life was. And, And I would, because I was so lonely, and I was so new to this place, it was so strange to me, and there were so many times in that first couple months where I just thought, you know what? The easiest thing for me to do was just to be to quit. Like, I'm not getting paid great, you know, I don't really like where I'm living. I don't know anyone yet. I have to go to the laundromat on Friday nights. Like, I can just go home. I can stay with my parents for a little while. I can figure out another. I can find another job. I can do something else. I don't want to stay in this. And I really wanted to quit. There was times where it got worse and worse. But as I thought about that, you know, as I, as I prayed, and obviously I wanted to obey God and what his call was on my life and what he wanted me to do. That I knew that I needed to stay, that I knew this is where God wanted me. And even though it was a difficult season and it would have been easier for me to go, I knew that God wanted me to stay. And for some of you, you're gonna be in those. And if I would have left, I, I can think, you know, through this and you've heard my story a little bit, but but that's where I ended up meeting my wife and that's where I developed a relationship with two or three other people here that are on our staff and helping at this church, and, and that's where if, if I hadn't met my wife, I wouldn't have Riley, and I wouldn't have Maddox, and I, you, you can think about those times where the decision maybe didn't seem like that big of a deal. I didn't have any commitments at that time. I didn't have a family. I didn't have anything that would tie me to that area, and I could have easily have left. And if I would have done that, I look back and think how different my life would be if I would have left, if I would have just cut my ties and and just got out of there and not stayed when it was easier to go. And so in your life today, I don't know what situation you're in and maybe some of you are like, hey, my life's good, you know, I don't have any big transitions coming up, but you will at some point. You're gonna find yourself in a position where it's gonna be easier to go and God's gonna ask you to stay. So how do we do that? How do we live the story that God wants us to tell? And this has been our scripture throughout the last A couple weeks, and we're going to again read through that today of what God's word really says in Hebrews chapter 12, 1 through 4. And again, we've heard this, it'll come on the screens. But it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, the the others that have gone before us who've lit us out, it says, 'Let Let us throw off, let us strip off, toss aside. Every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily entangles us and trips us up. So we talked about that the last couple weeks, the things that we need to stop doing to get out of our life in order to to live the life that God wants us to do. And it says, and let us run with endurance the race, the story that God has for you that he has set before us. We do this. So how do we live this life? How do we stay when it's easier to go? How do we start making right decisions? How do we stop making bad decisions? It says we do this by fixing our eyes on Jesus. It didn't say fix your eyes on your problem. It didn't say fix your eyes on the lady who lives beneath you, who is crazy and doesn't let you vacuum and doesn't let you have your TV up by a certain level in my situation. It said fix your eyes on Jesus. So don't look to your problem. Don't look to your obstacle. Don't look to your struggle. It says look to God and see what he has to say about it. Does he want you to stay? Is this a part of your story? And he's saying, look, if you don't go through chapter 5 right here, I'm telling you chapter 15 isn't going to make any sense. So it says that we fix our eyes on Jesus, who is the author, the perfecter of our faith. He's the author of our story. He's already written it out. And it says, because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people. Then you won't become weary and give up. After all, you have not yet given your lives into your struggle against sin yet. So you haven't disqualified yourself yet. Some point in your life, it's gonna be easier to go, and God's gonna ask you to stay. You're gonna run up against the obstacle, and how do we stay in that situation? Is we look to Jesus, and if he says stay, if he says this is a part of your story, you fix your eyes on him, that's what we need to do. And in the Old Testament, there's a great example of this, and if you have your smartphone, if not, it'll be on the screen, but if you wanna turn to the book of Ruth, and then here there's a story about a woman named uh, Naomi and her two daughter-in-laws. One was named Ruth, and the other's name was Orpah. And actually, funny story about this, not Oprah, Orpah, switch the R and the P, is that Orpa? Oprah was actually named after uh, Orpah, but they switched the letters in her birth certificate. That's, that's what the rumor has it. So funny story, because you think about if you were to watch uh, a show called The Oprah, the Orpah Winfrey show would be a little bit difficult to watch, not that I've ever watched that show or anything like that. Uh, but but the, so she had these two daughter-in-laws, and so kind of the, the, the background of the story here is Naomi's husband dies, and, and then tragically after that her two sons die. And so her two daughter-in-laws, she's left with Naomi and Ruth, and, and, or Naomi, Ruth, and Orpah are all without husbands. And in that time, That was a very bad situation because the husband was the sole provider for the family. The women didn't really work in that time. They were dependent upon their husbands to provide for them. So these three women had no one left to take care of them. And so they were actually reduced to like the beggar status, which was below a slave status because slaves actually had owners who would provide things for them. And so they would actually have to go and beg for their food because they had no one to provide it for them. And say so Naomi, being a good mother-in-law that she was, she tells her $2-in-law, she said, hey, just pack it in, go back to your own families." Perhaps you'll find some other man that you can marry, someone else who will take care of you and provide for me. I'm too old for that to happen. It's not going to happen for me. So why should we all suffer together? You guys should just go. And so Orpah says, okay. And there's really no shame in it. It was a logical thing to do. Uh, she said, hey, I, I'm going I'm to head back home. So she heads back home. But Ruth, on the other hand, decided to stay when it would have been easier to go. And Naomi actually tries to talk her out of it, and this is what Ruth's response was. In in Ruth chapter one, verses 15 through 18, Ruth says this. She says, look, Naomi said to her, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods, you should do the same. But Ruth replied, don't ask me to leave you and turn back. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. Wherever you die, I will die and I will be, and, I, and there I will be buried. May the Lord punish me severely if I allow anything but death to separate us. When Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she said, no more. And so this was, again, a very costly decision For Ruth, because she was going to be reduced to beggar status, and so she actually becomes a beggar, and she begins to follow up these workers who were harvesting crops out of the field, and she would go behind them after they did their work and try to pick up any loose grain that she could find to feed her and Naomi. So she's following these around. That's what they begin to live off, and then this guy named Boaz. Look at your neighbor and say, Boaz. The only reason I had you say Boaz because it's fun to say Boaz, isn't it? Boaz, who was very rich and he owned the fields that she was picking these scraps and He takes notice of this girl in the fields and he asks who she is and he begins to kind of hear her story a little bit. And he hears Ruth's story, and what he says, he says, he tells his workers, he instructs the men to leave him alone, because the men would try to take advantage of women in that situ- situation. he says, hey, men, leave her alone. And then he instructs the women who are working in his fields, he says, I want you to leave extra behind for this woman. Make sure that she gets plenty to eat. Let her do that. So she finds out about this and begins to understand, and you may ask the question, why would this rich landowner help out this Poor beggar girl. And the answer is this. It's because he had heard her story. And in Ruth chapter 2, verse 11 through 12, it says this. It said, Ruth fell at his feet and thanked him warmly after she found out what he was doing. She says, what have I done to deserve such kindness? I am only a foreigner. Yes, I know, Boaz replied, but I also know about everything you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. I have heard how you left your father and your mother in your own land to live here among complete strangers. May the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge, reward you fully for what you have done. So Boaz blessed Ruth, and through a series of unusual events and and how things worked back then, and I encourage you to read the story on your own, Boaz and Ruth end up getting married together. And he provides for her, and she goes on, and think about this, out of all the people in the Bible and the stories that we hear, that suddenly this girl who had no future because of her faithful decision to stay when it would have been easier to go becomes one of two women who have actually had a book of the Bible named after her. And if we trace Jesus' lineage, it goes all the way back to Ruth's bloodline. That's pretty incredible. That it was so much easier for her to go, to get out, to go back. She had permission. There was no shame in it. One sister-in-law went. She said, you know what? I'm not gonna leave you hanging even though it's easier for me to go I'm going to stay and because of that Jesus actually came from her and because of that she was blessed and here's the deal Ruth didn't stay hoping that God would bless her she stayed because it was the right thing to do and because she did the right thing God blessed her and we have to get that principle down and so in light of what God wants you to want we've been talking about that what does God want for your life and we've talked through that over the last couple weeks that he He wants you to be in relationship with him. He wants you to walk in his favor. He wants you to be blessed. He wants you to fulfill the purpose he has for your life. And so in light of that, what God wants you to want, where does he want you to stay? Today, where does God want you to stay? Where does God want you to stay so you can live the story he wants you to tell? Where does God want you to stay the course when it would be easier to walk away? When I was in eighth grade, I played basketball at Blinden Middle School in Westerville, And we had a really, really good team. And I played my seventh grade year and we won the championship for that year. Uh, One of the guys on our team actually went on to play at Michigan State, uh, phenomenal guy. And so in in our eighth grade year, tragically during Christmas break, uh, some of you may remember this story. Uh, This was back in like 94. Uh, Our our coach at Blended Middle School, his name was Chet Smith, was tragically murdered while he was working on a rental property. And so right in the middle, like our season had just kind of started. And, and he was murdered. And so our, our seventh grade coach kind of helped out, and then our, our middle school football coach kind of helped out. And so things on our, our team started to change a lot. And I definitely wasn't the best player on the team, but I felt like I was playing good, that I was going to get opportunities to play and, and at least come off the bench and to do those kind of things. Well, things on the, cha- on the team began to change. And so I was finding myself getting very frustrated because I was practicing all the time. I was uh, you know, showing up every day for practice and then when it would come to the game, there'd be an opportunity for me to get in and I kind of felt like, hey, this was my opportunity and I was never getting in. And there was two or three of the other guys on the team that were never getting in. And so I'd played other sports and this was really the first sport that I wasn't, like, excelling in at, at that time of my life, okay? I, I know I don't fit the typical, you know, look like this stud athlete anymore. But, but back in eighth grade, I actually was, I was a decent athlete. And so I kind of felt like I deserved a shot to play. And so me and a couple other guys decided, you know what, we're going to quit. This is ridiculous. I'm tired of this. And so one game, we, we sat there the whole game. Our team actually went up by, like, a few, you know, we had a, a reasonable lead where you kind of throw the bench warmers in the game. And I didn't even get in then. So I was like, you know what, I'm done, I'm just going to quit. So I walk up into his office, and, and it was the football coach at the time, and I'm up in his office, and I just said, hey, look, coach, uh, you know, these practices are long, I'm getting tired of not being able to, to play, and some of these other guys are here with me, and I said, we're done, man, we're going to quit. And, and it was just one of those moments in my life, it was kind of one of these, I, I always think back to that moment, he looked at me. And, and I was the, at the time, I had played quarterback for him. I was the quarterback, and I played. I started on the team that he was coaching. And he just looked at me, and it, it was real simple. I gave him my whole list of excuses, and he just said, Kyle, he said, you're not a quitter. He said, you're not a quitter. He goes, I'm not going to let you quit. He goes, if you quit this, you'll regret it the rest of your life. And I was just kind of like, but I, but I want to I quit. I, I want to play, and I'm not going to get to play, so I'm just going to quit. And he looked at me, and said, you're not a quitter. He said, I'm not gonna let you quit. You need to finish what you started here. And he just, that was kind of it. He just kind of laid it down. And I was in eighth grade, so it didn't take much more than that to convince me that I was gonna stay on the team. And so I'd like to tell you today that, that I you know, turned it around, and because I went in and confronted him that I got all this playing time, I didn't. I didn't get to play much more, maybe a little bit more because they felt sorry for me. I don't know what happened, but I didn't get to play much more, but I stayed on the team. And, and the thing that I realized there is that what, as I look back at that is that I learned a valuable lesson that he planted a seed in me even then as an eighth grader that, that I can't be a quitter, that just because I come up against something difficult that the answer isn't to quit. And our flesh and our human side of us and our perspective is limited when we don't see God, we just wanna quit. We come up against any resistance, you just wanna quit. And I don't know about you today and where God may be telling you, our coach, Jesus, the the man who's leading and instructing our lives, when you go before him, you say, you know what, I'm gonna quit. I'm gonna quit my job, I'm gonna quit this, I'm gonna quit that. And Jesus may look at you today, just like that coach looked at me and he said, you're not gonna quit. But God, I wanna quit, I'm tired of this, I'm tired of dealing with that. You're not a quitter. You're a finisher. You're gonna finish because I'm with you and I'm gonna give you the strength that through your struggle, through your weakness, is my opportunity to not only grow you, but to display my strength. If we never go through weak times in our life, obstacles in our life, when is God ever gonna show up and show that he's really God? When is God gonna show the one that he's in control and provide the strength that we need? So where is your coach telling you to? To stay today, maybe it's in your job where you say, you know what, I can't take my boss anymore. I'm just done with it. They've skipped me up for promotion after promotion. I'm the low, I'm still the low person on the totem pole here. I can never get off work when I want to get off, and you want to quit. But when you look to the author and perfecter, when you fix your eyes on God and you say, God, do you want me to quit? He's saying, no, don't quit. Stick it out. This is part of my story. Maybe it's uh, your your dream that you had that you would. You've always just felt like I'm just chasing my dream, and I'm never ever going to catch it. I'm never going to accomplish what I feels in my heart. I'm never going to be able to do that and God's saying, "Don't quit." Maybe you're in school still and you're trying to get get the degree and you're not on the 4-year plan, you're on the 8-year plan or the 10-year plan and it's just been struggle after struggle for you to do it and to stay and to work and to go to school and to finish this degree and to do that and you just want to quit. Maybe God's saying you to stay. Maybe it's in church that you've gone to church before and maybe you're here as we're starting this new church and you got a, a flyer in the mail or a friend invited you and, and you've been ready to quit on God and quit on church and you just, you know, I'm done and, and it, you know, I got hurt. They, they hurt me really bad at my last church. You know, it, the guy was a hypocrite. You know, we can go through all of our excuses and God's saying, look, I know what you went through, but, but don't quit yet. Don't quit yet. Stay in it. Maybe you're mad at God and you've wanted to quit on Him and He didn't come through for you and, and the storm that you're in and the struggle that you're in is, is very real, even in this moment today that you're going, Kyle, I'm in the middle of a storm and I would rather just quit. And God's saying, stay, don't give up, that, that He's going to see you through it, that He loves you, that He has a plan for your life, that, that this is part of your story. Maybe for you and for many people who find themselves in this situation that that marriages are falling apart today, as Matt talked about in our, in, when we were dedicating Maddox, that one of the key things that is going to help in raising him to know God is for me and my wife to know God, and for us to stay together, even though it's tough, but maybe for you, that your marriage is rough. And you know, a little disclaimer here, that if you're in danger in your marriage, and you're in a situation where you're being abused, I'm not saying you quit on your marriage, but I do think you need to remove yourself from that situation and get away at a distance and maybe begin to work on that and go through counseling and that but but you need to seek help in that area so don't 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 get me wrong but maybe it's just hey I'm just I don't have the same feelings that I used to have 10 years ago and or 5 years ago and and you know it's just it'd be easier we're not really happy it's just not easy anymore and I would just rather quit just rather walk away from it and maybe there was adultery and you would say hey look biblically Kyle adultery is grounds for divorce. And I would say, yes, it's true, biblically it is, but it's also grounds for forgiveness. It's also grounds for restoration to where we may not see how God can work this out and restore your relationship in the natural, but God has a way of doing things supernaturally where he can restore something that's completely broken. And I can attest to you that I've seen friends and I've seen people in my churches all throughout the years who you would have thought the relationship was over and God stepped in, and he did a work in, the, in both of their lives and brought them back together and restored that. So whatever area today that you're in, and, and next week, again, we're going to talk about when it's easier to, to stay when, we, when God's telling us to go. But today, in an area where God's saying, I want you to stay, that he's looking at you and saying you're not a quitter. And sometimes the greatest act of faith that you can have as a believer is just faithfulness to say, God, you know what, even though I want to go, the greatest thing that I can do to display that you're God and I'm not, that you're in control and I'm gonna follow you is I'm just gonna obey. I'm gonna be faithful to what you tell me to do. So, how do we do that? How do we stay the course when it's easier to go? There's some practical things today that I wanna walk through here real quick. And the first one is this, is that you need to remain during the conflict. You need to remain during the conflict that most of us, As soon as we hit the conflict, we're out. Hey, no one really enjoys conflict. But conflict, struggles, those type of things are oftentimes where God begins to grow us and change us to most. That if you never go through a test, you'll never have a testimony. And you gotta think about it like that. If my life was always just easy and I never went through any conflict, then when do we need God? When does God show up? So stay, remain during the conflict. If you skip, again, chapter five, chapter 15 may not look the same, it may not even make sense in your story, and if you think about any story, any good movie that you have, any good story that, if that there's, there's conflict within that, so there's some good that happens from that, that any good story, any good movie, if it had no conflict whatsoever, it wouldn't work. Even think about your favorite movie like The Notebook, how many of you, The Notebook, all the ladies, Right? Like if there was no conflict, a couple guys in the back really uh, getting emphatic about that one. Uh, but if there's no conflict, if there's no drama in it, it's never going to be a good story. And so your story as well, that the stories that you'll want to tell 10, 15, 20 years from now are going to be the ones where you went through a huge conflict and God showed up in a huge way. And you stayed when it would have been easier to go. Without adversity, there can be no victory. We need to get through that. And when it comes to Jesus' life and in Hebrew, says that we, we fix our eyes on him, him who endured suffering, who endured the cross, and he scorned its shame and, and went through the crucifixion so that we could have life in him. And if there was no crucifixion, then there'd never be a resurrection. Sometimes you've got to go through the hard times to experience the good times. So you have to remain during the conflict. The second thing you need to do is recognize that God has a plan. So you remain in the conflict. And then second thing you need to do is recognize that God has a plan. Jeremiah 29:11 says this, "For I know the plans I have for you declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and to give you a future." And so when it comes to our faith in God and our belief in him, we sang the song earlier about I will trust in you. God, you're all I need. That we're saying, "God, I trust in you." You're in control of my life. I put you in the driver's seat. It's not about me. It's about you. So when we put our trust in God, we have to remember and recognize that he has a plan for us, that he's the one in control. And we have to believe what we've read, believe what we know, know the plans. He said he's already laid them out. They're plans for good. But plans just stay plans, and they never become reality if you quit. God has a plan, but if you give up too soon, we're not gonna see that become a reality. So we have to, one, remain during the conflict, two, recognize God has a plan, and three is we have to remember God's promises. And this is a key kind of back to the basics of the foundation here in our Christian walk with God is this, is that we have to remember God's promises, but you can never know God's promises if you don't read his word. That God's Bible, the Bible, is full of, of his promises for us. It's his word. It's his direction to us. It's his his instruction for us. And to remember his promises, you have to know his word. The Bible says that we have all these kind of weapons to defend against the enemy, that he's gonna come and attack, he's gonna lie to us, he's gonna sow doubt into our lives, try to say God doesn't have a plan, he doesn't wanna help you out, you're never gonna do this, you're never gonna do that. And And so we can defend those things, but the only offensive weapon the Bible gives us is the word of God that we fight off those lies, we fight off the doubts that are in our mind, we fight off that God does love us, and we do that by knowing God's word. Romans eight twenty eight says, and we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. So that's God's word. And so when it comes to it, and, and kind of when the rubber meets the road on our faith with God, we either believe this or we don't that yeah, this is the most difficult thing I've ever been through in my life, but the Bible says, and God's word says, and I believe that his word is true, the Bible says that his promises are yes and amen, which means so be it, that these things will happen, that they will be accomplished in your life. It says that God takes everything that you've gone through, even the bad, boneheaded decisions that you made yourself, not just the things where you've been wronged and someone's wronged you, even when you've wronged someone else, And when you made a bad decision, when actually you didn't quit, you got fired because of a decision you made, that God can even take that because of his grace and because of his mercy in our life and work that to our good, that he fits it back into our story where it begins to make sense, it begins to shape us who he wants us to be. Galatians 6, 9 says, let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we don't give up. It says don't become weary, don't... Don't, don't give up because if you stay the course, if you decide to stay when it's easier to go, at the end of that road, at the end of that course is your reward. That's when we see God show up in a powerful way. In Deuteronomy 31.6, it says, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you, nor will he forsake you. That God, no matter what, you're going through this morning, says he's right there with you, that i will never leave you, that i will never forsake you, that even the worst of your worst situations, that God gets involved on your behalf, and it says he works those out, that he fits them into your story, so it makes sense. That all things you go through, he brings together for the good. The band's gonna come, and we're gonna close out today, and some of you, are new, and some of you have known me for some time, and some of you, it's your very first time today, and maybe you don't know all of my story, but today, you got to see uh, Riley up here this morning, and Riley, uh, when she was born, was born with a rare heart defect called Tetralogy of Fallot, and at five weeks old, Riley went through open-heart surgery, and, uh, you know, when we were, we went to the hospital, and, and we had the plans all laid out, and I had the car seat waiting in the car. You know, we, we, we planned it all out. You know, as far as we knew, everything was healthy, everything was right, everything was gonna be just fine with her. But then she was born, it took them seven minutes to get her breathing, uh, so you're in that moment, and you're just, you know, things are just spinning around, and then they finally get her breathing, they take her to the NICU, and they, they, her levels start to come where they want, and then we find out through just a normal checkup, they heard a murmur, they did a, in a, an echo, of her heart and found out that she had this rare heart disease. So five weeks old, uh, just a few weeks later, she had to face open heart surgery. And I'll never forget being in that room. And, and some of you heard this before, but, but Riley wasn't able to eat you know, the night before surgery and you know, try getting through the night with a five-week-old and you can't feed him but you know, some Pedialyte or something like that. And so she's just upset and she's struggling. And, and I finally get her to where she calms down and she isn't crying anymore and we're in this room waiting for them. And then as soon as she calms down, they come in and they say, it's time. And I can remember in that moment, you know, going, oh my gosh, like I have to hand her over and they're going to open her up and work on her hard. And, and so we, we did that and I, I'll never forget the feeling that I had, how I felt immediately, I, I handed her over and, and they took her off and we walked as far as we could go in the hospital to the doors and then they took her and then you're ushered into this waiting room. And I can remember just sitting down and crying and going, God, why? You know, why do we have to go through this? Why do we have to do this? And then she had the surgery and we get to go up afterwards and, and she just didn't look like herself. She, it, you know, and she, she did great and, and God's been good. But, but I can remember that that conflict, that that season of my life, it just would have been easier to say, God, isn't there somewhere else we can go? Isn't there, this wasn't a part of the plan. I just wanted to fast forward that scene and get through it. But now three years removed, use you saw, and I can't even keep her tame anymore, you know. I can't keep her, I can't get her to sit down, and and God has been good and she recovered quickly and and she has no restrictions on her life and, and she's doing good. But during that time, in that storm, I can remember it being in that hospital and 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 clinging to Jess and just going, God, please, you know, intervene for our baby, save her, help her recover from this. And and during that time. I grew the most in my relationship with God and with my relationship with my wife than any other time in our life. Some of you today, you may be in one of those kind of situations where you go, Kyle, you just, it's tough, you know, I don't, I don't know how we're going to pay the bills, I don't know how I'm going to see this through, I I don't know how it's going to happen, but all I can say today is this, is that if you will fix your eyes on Jesus, who's the author of of your story. You see, he gets it. He sees the very beginning to the very end. And, and although we may not see it and have the perspective that he does, he sees it. He knows how he's going to work all this out. He knows how he's going to strengthen you. He knows how he's going to grow you. But if we quit, the Bible says that we won't reap the benefits of that struggle. We won't reap the rewards of going through that if we quit too soon. So today, as you would just bow your head and close your eyes with me, we're going to close out but I just want to give any of you here an opportunity that you would say you know what Kyle, God isn't the author of my story because I've really never given him control of my life And, and you've never accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior and the Bible is very clear that the sin that we have, the issues that we have separates us from God and because of that sin, Jesus had to come and Jesus voluntarily laid down his life and died for us and went to the cross so that we could live the story that God wanted us to tell.